Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a melancholy version of the No Laying Up podcast. Um, we are recording this on Tuesday, April 12th. I need an extra day to recover. Um, but we are going to welcome for the first time the director of content from the PGA Tours Scratch TV, Mr. DJ Pajowski. DJ, how are you recovering from your master's hangover? Uh, slowly, I think, but I'm getting there. Uh, I'm at probably 80% today, I think. Uh, judging by the tweets, I don't think I was taking it quite as, as hard as you were, but it was pretty pretty brutal, a pretty somber mood around here for sure. So I got a lot of emails and stuff to catch up on, so I'm looking forward to just kind of letting you talk for an hour and a half, and I'll just kind of... If you need something, just let me know. You're here to listen. You're here to listen. Yeah, to go. Totally. I'm getting messages from friends like, dude, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, it's just a golf tournament. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, some of it, I mean, some of it has to be like performance art at some point, I'm sure. But then the danger is, you know, you don't know where the performance artist kind of loses yeah. his own identity. And I think that's probably what's happening with you a little bit. Well, we'll get into the Masters. We'll get into that. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm going to fear that we're going to get spiraled down a, a, a dark and frightening road with when we get into that, but first, I want to talk to you a bit about. Um, I want to give maybe a little bit of background. So not everyone listening to this podcast maybe knows who you are and uh, what you're doing with Scratch TV, uh, what your route was from the PGA Tour to get to where you are currently. Yeah, um, yeah, perfect. I, th- I find it hard to believe that not everybody knows. Who That's true. I don't, that was that was a disrespectful <laughs> statement I just made. Uh, everybody on this podcast hates me already. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> After 30 seconds. No, um, so, yeah, so I, I joined the tour about four years ago or so, maybe a little more, um, basically taking over kind of all of our social media efforts So for the last three and a half, four years. If you've uh, seen any, any PJ Tour stuff on social media, that's largely been either created by me or driven by me and, and our team here, so... Um, that's how I joined the tour and kind of what I've been doing for the last couple of years, which has been awesome and, you know, allowed me a chance to go to a ton of very cool places. It was kind of perfect timing as, as social media was taking off and as, you know, joining the tour at the right time. And it, it's been really like a perfect time to be in a perfect place. So it, it's been great. And then uh, with Scratch, that is a, a super new development. So what's kind of happened over there over the last, you know, month or so basically is is the tour is looking to kind of refine refine the voice of Scratch and figure out kind of exactly what it is. We launched it uh, about a year ago, maybe a little more, and uh, as, as basically kind of in something, you know, someone like yourself and your readers hopefully can appreciate as, as something, you know, to kind of find the fun side of golf and not take things quite so seriously all the time. Uh, although we're, I know we're going to take things extraordinarily seriously today. But uh, <laughs> I'm offended by that statement, by the way, but continue. Outside. Outside of that, uh, yeah, you know, kind of, kind of highlight more the, the fun the fun things about golf and uh, also the fun things about, about golf outside the PGA Tour. So, you know, kind of be a little bit more reflective of the normal golf fan rather than the hardest of hardcore 
PJ Tour fans. Okay. So what? Uh, like, would you have any examples of what you? What I guess you've been working on, or anything that we can expect to see from Scratch TV in the near future? Yeah, I think one thing that's uh, probably the thing I'm I'm most excited about is uh, the show. It's kind of weird, it, you know, a digital a digital show, I guess, but a series that we're calling Adventures in Golf, which will be uh, hosted by uh, Eric Anders Lang, who's a, a guy that some of you might have seen on the on the coverage uh, at Waste Management. We did the thing with uh, GoPro and, and Scratch at 16th hole on Wednesday, the Pro-Am show that I know you watched. And uh, Eric was there doing some kind of sideline reporting for the first time ever. That was the first time he'd ever done anything live. But um, outside of live stuff, he's a fantastic storyteller and host and cameraman and kind of do it all. And so we came to him with this idea of like, you know, what, if you had a, a golf TV show, what would you do? And he basically said, well, I would travel around the world and show that, you know, golf is different everywhere you go. Uh, but it's, you know, as different as it is, it's, it's the same kind of core principle. So what he shot was, uh, this, uh, it's like seven or eight episode series called adventures in golf. That's uh, going to be coming up. We're kind of figuring out the release plan for it. It's all shot and edited and kind of ready to go. But uh, he went to Mumbai and Dubai and even like a, a course in Compton, a part three course <laughs> in Compton and uh, Portland and kind of like all over to basically shoot these like, here's what golf means to these people. And uh, the result is awesome. I, I can't wait for people to see it. It's going to be rude. I, didn't, really cool. I was not expecting Compton to be thrown into that. I mean, you're just put, talking about putting some stamps in that passport and just drop in Compton like it was nothing there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, if if the hip-hop game has taught us anything, that's kind of just a place to be. You know, it's kind of a, uh, a place everyone's got to check out. Have you seen Straight Out of Compton, by the way? I haven't. I probably should. It was, so, like, I'm not a big movie guy at all. Uh, a buddy of mine, he's like, I watched that movie the other night, and it is awesome. And his wife was like, it was the, one of the most amazing movies I've ever seen. And I'm like, okay, I mean, how good can this really be? I watched it on a plane and like with you know, people sitting next to me. I, I, halfway through it, I stopped caring. I was like, I was like bouncing my head along with the movie. <laughs> I was rapping the words that I knew. Like, I, I didn't even care if anyone could see me. It was an incredible movie. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. So you, you, I, you're going to have to see that one. I have heard nothing but like spectacular things about it. That, it's supposed to be great. I gotta check it out. Okay. Well, I, weird transition from that from that moment. <laughs> uh, so, what is that exactly is is your role, and how different is it, um, you know, from what you've done with the PGA Tour so far? Yeah, I think what's kind of interesting about it is so my role is director of content, uh, and so basically, kind of uh, concepting and executing and kind of getting some of these things off the ground. Uh, working with the team, which is largely based uh, in New York, which is which is fun too. It's kind of a different different vibe than being in Ponte Vedra Beach all all day every day. So, um, which is where I'm based now. Okay. But the uh, the difference, I guess, like what's what's kind of interesting about it is, I think if you follow the tours social media channels, you've seen things over the last couple of years probably get a little. You know, not necessarily edgy is the right word, but just kind of pushing things into a different place than they have been, you know, the the years prior to that. And so I think what's kind of interesting is 
basically figuring out and navigating like what is a PJ Tour thing, what is a scratch thing, and and kind of working through all of that with our team here, which is eager to you know push the envelope as much as they possibly can as well. And so I think it's it's all you know good things moving in the right direction. It's just kind of figuring out like the different lanes that that these things are going to live in, which is uh, which is awesome. It's it's really fun project to work on. I know it's only been a month or so, but uh, I think things are. I think you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of really cool things, hopefully really quickly. Good. So, yeah, it's exciting. That's good. I think there's I, I think I've made it clear that there's a lot of uh, opportunity in that space within the golf world, and it's good to see the PGA Tour seizing that. And I'm guessing it's probably pretty nice for you to f- to feel like you have this creativity and opportunity to really express. Uh, I mean, I've seen some. I, I feel like Scratch is the idea of it is I, I was very much on board right from the get-go, and some of the things I've seen have been fantastic. And the thing that always sticks out in my mind is the film. I don't know if it was released Monday or Tuesday right after the Players' Championship last year. Uh, the film that, and I don't know who shot it, that the guy had of Ricky walking through the tunnel at some point during the Players' Championship, and it was just it was just Ricky on the camera, but you could hear the fans from outside just chanting his name as he made this unbelievable move. And it might have been after he won. You probably know better than I do. But uh, I just remember being like, okay, if that's what Scratch is going to be, then this is going to be fantastic. Like this behind-the-scenes look into, uh, I guess, inside the ropes, but with a, a just a different perspective than, than you know presenting a narrative or whatever on TV. So I think the sky really is the limit for this kind of thing. Yeah, I think so too. And, and you know, if, if you do like that, then we've got a great Ricky Fowler piece we can talk about later in, in the show here, but um, <laughs> <laughs> where that video will make an appearance. But um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's exactly that. It's basically figuring out, you know, what, like I was saying, what, you know, what are the things the tour does really well and the tour are, you know, kind of the necessary things that we need to do every week to serve our fans in the way that we always have and will continue to do. And what are some new ways that we can push the envelope? And I think that Scratch is a cool, like, it almost feels to me like a, it's not like an innovation lab kind of, you know, like it's, it's a place to try new things and test out different things and kind of see what sticks and hopefully use that to kind of inform some of the decision making going forward. So that's how I see it. Um, so I guess we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Well, congratulations on the new role. Now I'm going to try to do the best I can to get you fired from that role because we're, <laughs> re- we're ready to talk about what we just witnessed last week at the Masters. Um, we got a lot of good questions related to it. Well, I'll get to those a little bit later, but uh, I want to. I want to hear uh, it's such a. It's almost like a talk about question, but like I want to hear your. What? All right, we'll start with this. What's the worst take you've seen since Sunday? Since Sunday at the Masters. The worst take. Uh, this is a, like. I'll, I'll give you two. This is unrelated to. Uh, Unrelated to Jordan, but I think that if you go on uh, Skip Bayless's Twitter account, I think Tron was uh, texting me actually about like some, something he was sending out that was basically just just kind of not like general nonsense about like he was super fired up about the Masters, but like it didn't make any sense what he was trying to say. So that just from like a functionality, like I don't actually understand your take. <laughs> probably the worst take I saw. Um. But from an actual, like, just the hottest of hot takes, I know we were kind of texting about it earlier, but the uh, the Will Leach thing about, um, 
you know, basically kind of overstating what pressers mean and dragging Jordan into the kind of into the whole Cam Newton Super Bowl thing. <laughs> I thought was I was like people, muscles were pulled with that with reaching for that take. Like that was so ridiculous. It was yeah, something like it would come from PFT commenter. That's an like exact take you would expect to hear from him. Which I think he wrote about it. Yeah, it, it was weird that it was like uh, a serious take, though. Like Mark Schlereth, like seriously tweeted that. Like Cam Newton could learn a lot from Jordan Spieth about le- losing in in grace or whatever. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I don't want to. I don't want to single out Will Leach's, you know, piece because I think there was a lot of like really good stuff in there about you know how we treat press conferences, and I think he was largely right about a, a lot of it, but. Yeah, adding Jordan to the mix just didn't make a lot of sense because of I forget who said it uh, earlier today. We were kind of texting about it, but like, um, like I actually learned a ton from what Jordan said afterwards. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he was actually like he's always been super thoughtful and honest, and like I've actually learned more from his pressers than than anyone's. Like so, yeah, introducing him into the chaos. That is like NFL takes. I thought was was, was a little too much. <laughs> That's what you're going to get though. When the, for the Masters, like guys are dropping in from other sports to watch Sunday at the Masters, and they're going to try to make parallels to the sports that they know a lot better than golf. But I mean, uh, yeah, I mean it was it was it was tough to just try to take all that in at once. And uh, I mean, I felt like, and I you and I talked about this before as well, and I. Tried to write something on Sunday morning about it. I wrote it for SB Nation just about. I felt like the tide was kind of turning against Spieth from a fan's perspective in that people were critical of his pace of play and really starting to take notice of his whining. And uh, I, I kind of chalked it up to him being a, a lot more, we're a lot more exposed to him now. That may be some people are just getting kind of a little bit, maybe a little bit tired of some of his antics or maybe, uh, I don't know, him seeming seemingly being very whining. But I thought his, I mean, his pace of play was obviously not fast. I don't, I'm not saying that in, um, if I was to give this what I would call the Bubba test and that if, if, if Bubba did the same thing, would I be all over him and I'm, and I'm, you know, giving speed the pass on it? Probably. I'm willing to concede that I'm, I may not be the most objective on it, but I just thought too much was made out of the, this is our biggest tournament of the year, um, the speed at which those greens were at, with the win that they were considering, you can't play fast. And everyone's saying, you know, when Spieth was paired with Rory, it's like, well, you know, Spieth is the one holding them back. He's the one that's, you know, the reason why they're two holes behind. First of all, they weren't two holes behind. That's all. That's all made up. But Rory, not. I'm not saying Rory rushed his way through his round, but he didn't take his time the way Spieth did. And I think that there's a reason why Spieth was so. I got a bit uneasy at times is that he just wasn't that confident in his game. He was, he blitzed the field on Thursday, but ever since then he was not the same guy. He made a lot of birdies, but he made so many mistakes that cost him. So I think there was a, some method to the madness of, you know, him taking his time and that like what you just said though, something we learned in his press conference afterwards is he said he rushed the shot on 12. He like, tried to get it over with, tried to get over too quickly and it cost him the masters. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think that, you're, I, I'm glad you brought it up, uh, but I loved reading your SB Nation thing on, I think, whenever it was, Saturday morning or Sunday morning. Um, but I was, th- I was thinking a lot of exactly what you just said. And first of all, nobody, nobody backs off a putt, you know, because they're, it's part of their pre-shot routine or something. You know, like something... <coughs> Furek, you know, Furek. Something's, yeah, maybe, okay, that's one, one example. 
Um, but you know, something's obviously going through his head that he needs to sort out. And I, I just think so much of this is like, is just context being stripped out. And luckily there's very smart people like us to uh, put, <laughs> put this into context. Uh, we've been there before. We know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a couple people who are really to give their time, talk about their experiences. Um, no, but I think you you lose the context of how much more difficult the golf course was playing than any other time Jordan Spieth has ever seen it. Like, yeah. you know, he's he's trying to figure out all this stuff in his head as he's going along. And the other piece of context that I think gets stripped out is probably how much TV coverage has changed yeah. over the last couple of years. And, like, that was one thing I really noticed at the match play, actually, when, when everyone's kind of ripping on Jason Day. And, of course... Yes, Jason Day is not a fast player, of course. But, you know, I think that it just gets highlighted when he's the only player on the course and TV has nothing else to show. Yeah. And so, showing him. so it's like, was he, you know, he's not playing slowly this week. He just, you've never been to a tournament to go see it, you know? Like, this is this is what it's like. And so, yeah, it's just a different view of it and a different kind of, I don't know. Like you said, you get... Masters Week is when you get some of the viewers who don't have all of this context, and I think that's where some of these yeah. takes are born out of. Yeah. But the, other, the other thing I will say, just kind of reiterating your point about um, about you know some of the, the tide turning a little bit, I think you nailed it with your LeBron example. Yeah. That like everyone everyone loves you know the ride up and discovering the next big star and watching him get his first couple wins and then you know once you've reached that you know no matter what Jordan does for the rest of his career I imagine it's it's not going to be too much better than what it was last year I mean yeah. that's that's about as as peak as you can possibly get and so once once you reach the mountaintop it's kind of you know looking around and all right well we've seen this before like let's start picking it apart and yeah it just it gets so just ugly from there yeah. and I don't really know how to change it I think that's just sports yeah that's the nature of sports i just think it, yeah it's it's to a to a degree it's overexposure and i mean you can uh, i don't know if you get that exposed to anyone you're going to find things you don't like about them i'm not saying everyone has to like speed if you i dislike guys for some of the same reasons that people dislike speed so it just it, it i can understand it from that perspective what i don't understand is why you care if you're watching the masters first of all the television <laughs> coverage didn't do him any justice because they showed his entire way through the pre-shot routine, right? Whereas, you know, they're cutting to other groups. They're either showing it on tape delay, most likely because it's CBS, or they're cutting in right before the shot. Um, then, and, you know, they're not showing a pre-shot routine. I'm not saying he's the only, you know, that everyone out there was as slow as him and whatnot. But I just don't get why people cared you know, in this the greatest tournament, the greatest weekend of the year. What's your rush for this to be over? You're not out on the you're not out on the course. The pace of play doesn't affect you. Like unless your take is that speed slow play caused Rory to not have a birdie on Saturday, which again you're gonna you're gonna overstretch yourself making that take. But I mean, I I, I just don't get why that's a why that's a focus point and like why like uh, some journalists were tweet like 16th hole. After he hit that shot to eight feet or whatever, a journalist I won't name tweeted like an update as to where the group in front of them was and said that, like with an exclamation point that there should be a slow play penalty. A slow play penalty in the final three holes of the biggest tournament of the year. That was his take. Like, God, it just, ah, oh, there's so many things that I have not recovered from from Sunday. 
that was, uh, and I, I don't want to change topics, but related to that, I, I think uh, it was Dylan Mays on Twitter was, was uh, <laughs> he fired it off at the perfect time. But basically his, his sarcastic take was like, man, you know what the only thing this tournament is missing? 50 more yards on 13. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that is in the same vein to me that, like, come on, man. Like, just, just put the snark aside and everything and just, like, let's, let's just focus on what's going on. And yeah. so the thing I want to throw at you, because I've been thinking about it really since, like, this kind of narrative started popping up, is like nobody nobody felt this way about Tiger, did they? Or am I not remembering? Or was Twitter not around? Or what was going on? Because like to me, watching Tiger between shots is the most fascinating part. Like, I'll, like he's not a fast player. Like I watch him all day, line up a putt, and like that's that's like what builds all the drama to me in golf. Is like you know you have these golf shots that take ten seconds, but the four hours around it is just, you know, just there to, to build up the drama basically. And right. I feel the same way about Jordan watching him, you know, whether it's talking to Greller or it's lining up a putt or it's backing off or whatever, like that's fine with me. Like it, do what you got to do, man. Like that, that just makes it better for me. It was out of character though. You know, I'd, I've never no maybe I've just never noticed it, but I've never seen him be like that. And to me, I'm not saying that was nerves. I'm saying that was him, it seemed like he was just not fully comfortable with his with his his long game and given those conditions he just it took him forever to get comfortable and fully committed over a shot so it wasn't to me like watching tiger stalk a putt whereas if you watch tiger do that he is entirely on his own he doesn't talk to his caddy and he looks like he's in complete control of the situation right he never doesn't he does not look nervous he's not you know backing off a shot if he is it's because of a, a camera went off or whatever so i don't necessarily i don't i don't think that's a, the best comparison because uh well, i don't know tiger just always felt like in control of the situation whereas spieth did just seem like he was doing all he could to hold it together and for 63 holes he did um but let me ask you this how much what would the odds have had to had to be for you to have bet against Spieth with that five shot lead when he made the turn after nine, like what would the 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 plus have to be on the on the <laughs> field side for you to have bet on him? God, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to put this into context. Like, I think I did a pretty good job of of illustrating my feelings when I tweeted a picture of a creature that was half horse, half Jordan Spieth, and said, "This tournament's about to get super boring." Yeah. Um, so I guess like plus my reputation, I suppose, <laughs> is like, like, I don't, I don't know. Like that's, that's the thing that's so, so wild about it to me is I've been thinking about it a lot the last couple of days that, you know, when you, when you start talking like historic collapses and putting like labels on it like that and stuff, you know, everybody points to, to 96 as like, well, Norman was up six with 18 to play. And like, that seems about as bad as it can get until you hear, I mean, five shots with nine to play is sounds so much worse. Yeah. Uh, until like, I was kind of thinking about it on the, on the ride in today. And like, I, I don't know, I guess it's just the nature of like how, how fast things can change because what did he, did he play two under from then on out? After right. twelve, After he 12? did. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, I guess like I don't know. It's just hard, and he still lost by three, right? right. So like it, it, it's weird when you think about. You know, he made a quad 
You made a quad on 12, and I guess you just kind of throw 10 and 11 as part of the, the crumble yeah. a little bit. But, I mean, even still, like, those are, you know, four and a half par holes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, bogeys there are not that bad and don't hurt you that much. But, yeah, it's it's just mind-blowing to me. Like, it's hard to it's hard to kind of – it's hard to, like, fathom it, I guess, that, you know – how big the collapse seems and also how how uh, quickly things can change, well, if that makes sense. Yeah, get this. Um, Danny Willett played the par fives in even for the week. Sp- oh, God. Spieth, oh, play- Spieth played them in 11 under. Oh, my gosh. 11 that's, shots on the par fives. Um, that's but, that's but the best that I've heard all week. Here, uh, well, I might have to tweet that then if you think that was that good. Um <laughs> What? But here's what issue I guess I have with. I mean, what I'm willing to say what happened was a collapse and a, a choke, and that takes a lot for me to say that. But what we just saw that was that was a choke. I mean, that is so out of character for speed to hit those two balls in the water to chunk that ball. You can't describe that any other way. I've never seen him hit a shot like that in his entire life. But um, what you forget, and I'm not saying this was that difficult to, for or not that, you know, that it was, uh, that this was a, ch- a challenging thing, but he needed to shoot 37 on the back to win it. I mean, Willett, he had a five shot lead, but it's not like Willett was in the clubhouse. It's not like he, you know, is, he just has to nurse this five shot lead for the rest of the round. It disappeared in three holes, but he, you know, Willett gained three of those shots back. Granted, Spieth gave, you know, five of them back as well on top of it, but, Willett partially ran him down. Even if he didn't hit the second ball in the water the way it played out, he still would have lost, right? So um, obviously I think things play out a little differently for him, you know, the, 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 the next sequential holes. But, I mean, how much, where do you stand on how damaging you think this is for, for somebody like Spieth? Yeah, I think what – really quickly I want to say that I think – you know, what you just said was what I was trying to say in a much more eloquent way, which is that, you know, it just shows how quickly those shots can disappear and how you can't really pin it on exactly one thing except for maybe that shot at the second shot at 12. And I think that the the second shot at 12 was what, you know, you go back into that rushing thing and he was talking about, you know, if I would have done it over again, I maybe I would have gone to the drop zone and like, you know, we were rushing to find the yardage. And, you know, obviously when you do something like that, when you make a swing like that, you're not mentally committed as he is to 99.999% of the other shots he hits. So the only, when you talk about like, you know, how damaging is this going to be? How, you know, what, what's the lasting effect going to be? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, say it's negligible, but I don't think he's going to be standing on the first tee, you know, the next time, the next time he tees it up and when he tees up at the U S open and when he tees up at the masters next year, and be thinking about, about, you know, oh my gosh, remember that one time I, I collapsed? I think he's more mentally tough than that. That's what I would be doing, but I think that he will avoid doing that. Um, but at the same time, I mean, next time he's standing on the 12th tee, I mean, how can you not think about that in that specific moment at that specific shot when the pin is in the same place? Like, I don't understand how any human could ever block that out, especially, you know, since he did it in 2014, too. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I, I think about it very differently if he hadn't won last year, right? If he, if this was like him trying to get over the hump, 
I would say that is going to scar him forever, right? But in his head, don't you think he has to be thinking that that was more an exception to the rule? I mean, it was... His success so far at Augusta, that's not a fluke in any way. Um, If I was him, what would be killing me is like, it seems like you're going to have all these opportunities, but those opportunities just don't come along that easily. He knows that. I'm sure he does. Everyone knows that. And that would be eating me up that, you know, you just missed this chance to go back to back to truly make history. But for me, it's like he knows he's done it before. He basically did it this uh, the, the the order of that I think matters to me. You know what I mean? Like the, he's no, not. The, I totally. Agree. Okay. Yeah. Because okay, I'm struggling. Totally. But <laughs> no, and that's what I think makes him so makes him so tough, and you know, tougher with each win that he gets is that I, I think your your terminology of you know exception to the rule I think is is perfect. And I think when you look at I'm I'm sure people made this comparison, but you know when you look at 2011 and. Rory standing on the 10th tee with the lead, you know, and having just an epic collapse Mm -hmm. and hitting, you know, the equivalent of the shot Jordan hit, you know, Rory's drive at 10 was the equivalent of what Jordan did at 12, I would say. And, you know, Rory stepped up in the next major and won by eight. So, you know, like, that's where I think um, maybe on that one golf shot, standing on the 12th tee, I could see it affecting him. But like in the long run, I just, I don't think it's a factor. I, I mean, I, done, I think it's I just... I think he's done too much already. Yeah, like yeah. I just think he's going to be in... He's going to have a lot of... Not these collapses, but he's going to have a lot of close calls. Um, I think... I mean, look at how many... The last five majors, how how he's been in all of them. And that's like understating his role in all of the last five majors. Like, I think that, you know, sometimes it's going to work out in his favor, sometimes not. I feel like the U.S. Open last year just kind of worked out in his favor in the same way that the Open and PGA just did not. Right? I think like he played pretty much about the same in all three of those, and only only he got one major title out of it. So I think we're going to see a lot of close calls from him. I don't think we're going to see a lot of collapses like this. But, I mean, don't you just – I feel like I tried to say this leading up into it, and it's part of the reason I took this loss so hard in that I just – I've. I, I just felt like he was going to win, all, dating all the way back to like December. And as soon as I started thinking about it, I'm just like remembering what that felt like to watch him go around that course last year and how good he was. When I say he like only won by four, like, I just felt like he won by more last year. You know what I mean? It felt like he dominated more than that. And you know, I got the same exact feeling watching him Thursday, and I still had that same feeling watching him stand over every putt. It was just when he was, you know, hitting his driver, I'm just like, holding on for dear life on the edge of my chair. Like, and, and you know, that he, it was the right miss that cost him so many times on Sunday that then just absolutely murdered him. It cost him on 10, 11, it cost him on 12, it cost him on 17. It was a left miss on 15 that cost him his chance to go for it, but he still made birdie. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like he's so unbelievably good at that course. It doesn't, you know, it favors long hitters, but you don't have to be long, long there. I mean, um, I just think we're going to see him when, okay. The question we got, I don't know. I'll have to pull up who asked this over under two and a half more masters titles for him the rest of his career. I think the question was over under two. I'm making it two and a half because two yeah, just makes well, you want to push it. I was going to take I was going to take the under and say two. Yeah, uh, two 
more masters. Four masters is so many masters. It's so many masters. It's second most they, all time. They only, they only play it once a year, <laughs> and uh, which I think a lot of people forget because I know we've talked about this, but like if you go back and like if you go back, this would be fun to exercise to do like with golf channel analysts or something. But like if you go back and you actually like count it up, the number of majors that have been promised away. Like, it's got to be, we've got to be into, like, 2076 by now. You know what I mean? When it's yeah. like, oh, Jordan, Jordan's going to win up 11, and Ricky's going to win 9, and Dustin's going to win 6. Uh, Tiger could win 6 more. Who knows? Phil's going to win 8 more. Uh, like Danny Willett's never in that calculation either. <laughs> they only, you're right. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. there are so many good players that, like, and, and they only play four of them a year. So, uh that that's what always kind of makes the math feel a little weird to me. So I feel like I feel like two more, especially considering you know, especially considering Bubba is you know also in that same category where you can say how many more is he going to win? Or I, we can talk about that, but that's you know, certainly something that a lot of people have said. People say the same thing about Phil. I mean, if he stays healthy, like he could win. If you know, there's just Rory is still like statistically you know he was designed in like the augusta lab basically like he should in three like who knows you know yeah. so I, I feel like two is it's two more is huge yeah i feel like i'm going i'm i i'm going over i am um i just what we saw for those first seven rounds and even halfway through the second one that that that's so be no one thinks it's a fluke. I'm not saying that, but I don't think people have a full appreciation for how amazing that was and how true and utter that domination is specific to that course. I mean, we saw I mean, no one has ever done that. No one's ever gone wire to wire, back to back rounds. Maybe that's kind of uh, maybe that stat isn't as important as I'm making it out to be. But I just think when you t- a second, a first, and a second in today's game of golf. I mean, Nicholas's run in the majors in the 70s looked a lot like that, you know, for season after season after season. You don't see any guys do that. Like, you don't see that from Rory. You've never Rory's never had a stretch of majors like this in his career. Phil Phil has, I guess you could probably say like the 0506 uh that time frame, but I mean, you don't I don't know. You just don't you don't see that. And there's a reason why Phil has won 3 of these things and that he always put himself there and he's he's very good for that that particular golf course and I feel like we're, we're going to see him there so many times that I, I I can I can say that he would be he would win. All right, let's let's say he would have won this. How many more majors would you how many more masters would you have predicted that he would win? Still the same? Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that changes it, which it shouldn't. Because, it shouldn't, like, yeah. It's basically almost like a – I don't know. If you started to look at the stats, you know, it's basically one swing kind of that, that causes it to uh, causes it to change. That's what's so funny about, like, you know, wins versus losses is, like, it, it literally comes down to, you know, one thing like yeah. that. So it's so funny to think, like, you know, you, you have this huge inflated – this huge inflated opinion of, of somebody who – you know, this this is I guess more with like regular tour events, but you know you have this huge inflated of opinion of somebody who wins versus somebody who you know makes one bad swing and finishes T two, and you just don't even think about that guy for the next six years because he's never won on tour. You know, like it's just strange. But anyways, um, I think like you said something about like the last five majors, and it reminded me of 
my favorite stat from the week, I think, before maybe you told me that Willett was even on the par fives, which is <laughs> insane. Uh, but I, I tweeted the other day, like, his head-to-head record yeah. at, at the last five majors is 643 wins, five losses, and two ties in five in five majors. <laughs> five like, guys it's beat him. so stupid. <laughs> he just it feels like he should have more than two majors out of that, you know? I mean, oh, totally. Yeah. And that's the thing is the one that he was beaten by three guys. He was one yeah. shot out of the playoff. No, he he could literally have. Uh, I would comfortably say four. Like yeah, the Jason Day one. I mean, I don't think anybody was going to beat Jason Day. No. But, uh, yeah, he could he could legitimately have four four of the last five majors, and things wouldn't be that different. Like it's just crazy. Yeah, um, I think side. You know, maybe a side rant from on my perspective, but. The reason I took it, uh, uh, adding on to that, the reason why I took it so hard was it just didn't, I don't know, the way he played for, I don't know what 72 plus 63 holes is at that course, it didn't feel right for it to end this this way, you know, that it, just this sinking feeling and kind of loss in perspective into what he did last year and the lo- just the loss and the, the chance at history. I mean, we, we pine for so long for somebody like Tiger and this is... By all accounts, at least from a major championship and Masters perspective, a guy who's like on pace to shatter his records. I'm not saying obviously he's gonna. St- I'm not gonna be on pace guy, but it's not like something that is guaranteed to last forever. But and I mean, but we're, I mean, we're talking about a guy who is gonna be three-time major winner at 22. Well, I think Tiger was 24 when he won three majors, and granted, that's when he really went nuts, won the Tiger Slam, etc. But I mean. I don't know. It was just this chance at something that we're, we've never seen before in the history of the game. I don't think people really appreciated that. And for me, like, I I used to be just the biggest sports fan, right? I mean, fantasy football spreadsheet guy, fantasy baseball offseason trade guy, you know, betting on every game. I was bracket guy for a little while there, too, with the NCAA. <laughs> and, like, I don't know. I would just – and before I moved to Europe, like – that was just a huge part of my life. Like you go to a bar and you're watching sports on TV where now that I live here, like my sports fandom has just slowly drifted away month by month. And that a lot of sports happen overnight. And I don't, you know, I don't watch, I I don't watch any baseball anymore. Basketball is out the window. Football, I can watch the early games. Uh, And like, if you'd have seen me like eight years ago or so, like I was, I was the one, I, who based a Saturday around a West Virginia football game, right? Or during the week, during the summer, I, I'm checking in on MLB, like on MLB app on my phone for red scores, no matter what. And that I don't have that anymore. That just kind of died off a little bit. And the only sport that's easy to watch from a European perspective is golf. And obviously, having a website and whatnot has has contributed to that as well. But that's where like all of my sports energy has been focused, right? And not only did I pick Spieth, but I I think he's awesome for the game, and he's just a guy that I really root for, and I think we have a real great chance to see greatness out of him. And overall, yeah, I think yeah. if you want to say he's whiny, that's fine. If you don't like him, that's fine. But I think he's so good for the game and such a likable guy from my perspective and just an overall good guy that, I don't know, to have that happen, it just it crushed me. I hated it. Like it was I, – I, I, like I told you the story or I texted you and said December 1st, 2007 was like – a part of me as a sports fan died. West Virginia was a 28-point <laughs> – home favorite with a birth to national championship on the line, and we lost. It was unthinkable that we would lo- lose that game, and we did. And it just, 
like how much that hurt me, I got like some perspective. I'm like, okay, I can't take sports that seriously anymore. And since then, I've faded and just don't. I don't take anything too seriously again. But this whole this whole moment just kind of caught up with me, and it just. I just wanted it to happen so badly, and and I also really wanted to be right <laughs> with all my <laughs> with all my photoshops. Yeah, now you now you believe me, but um, I feel like a lot of guys weren't. You know, I was talking to one of my buddies, Tumor, and I said and he's giving me uh, basically giving me crap for taking way too much credit for picking speed, but I didn't see a lot of guys picking him before the start of the tournament. Now he's only he only went off eight to one. He was second or third favorite on the board, but. Um, I don't know. I just I I really wanted to get that pick right because I was pretty authoritative about the way I went about it, and yeah, just to have it go down like that, it just you know, ugh. and just you know having the random sports people dropping in on it, giving their takes on it, and just it was too much for me to handle. I really well, I really did have several drinks Sunday night before I went to bed. I was not taking it well. <laughs> uh, I had my uh, we do a one and done. Um, league on pjtour.com and I, he was my pick this week so just for for what that's worth okay uh but i was beating the phil horse really hard this yeah. week for some reason i don't know why and even like friday afternoon i think when he hit a second shot up to eight he had like what looked like a pretty easy up and down for birdie on eight i think he was like four back or something and jordan was like kind of faltering i'm like oh god this is definitely happening <laughs> phil's gonna hang and he's gonna whatever uh, anyways he didn't, and my takes have like never been further off than they were this week. I think uh, on Shane in Ryan's podcast, oh, I went off about how hipster of a pick Danny Willett was, <laughs> and like, how every year there's like this thinking man's like cerebral kind of trendy pick about all these converging trends, and this year it was totally going to be Willett, and so yeah, I was I, I will own up to that fully. I was totally wrong, but I did have him in the one and done league, so that was worth. What um, uh, did you see? Our question that we got. I'm trying to find it right now. In uh, that, the hipster one? yeah. How? What level? If you <laughs> tying into your, you call him the hipster pick. What level of hipster was the pick? And I'll, I remember from it. I'll find it here in a second. But it, I, I just just found it. If if picking Will is from uh, at hit the high draw, um, which is coincidentally what Jordan should have done on twelve. <laughs> um, if picking Willett was a hipster pick, define the level of hipster, i.e. man bun, glasses with no lenses, latte sipping, etc. Um, that's a great question. That's a great question. I don't know what a good answer would be. Like I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, I don't. I don't know enough about hipsters to really fully weigh yeah, in. You let, know. Let me, let me noodle that one for a minute. We'll okay. Come up with something, but. Okay. Um, yeah, to, to your point about kind of just the like despondency, like, I think the only other time I felt that way was probably like the 2009 Open Championship when yeah. Tom Watson, uh, basically like, you know, that, that was, I think just, what was I doing? I was an intern at uh, Golf Week magazine, so I was like living in Orlando by myself for the summer and like had nothing to had no money had nothing to do except literally just watch golf and i've watched probably god i don't even know i've watched probably 30 hours of that golf tournament that week and was following the storyline the whole time and then just it all felt like such a waste yeah. and with like one shot and one kind of bad bounce over the green yeah uh, but i think on jordan just to to kind of add like i guess a little more context or whatever you want to call it um I, 
I think it what was a, a couple years ago, Martin Keimer won the, I think it was at the U.S. Open. He won the U.S. Open and the players in both kind of somewhat similar fashion. But yep. um, well, he was he was winning the U.S. Open, and I think it was either it was either Saturday before he won or it was Sunday. I think it must have been Sunday after afterwards in the press room when he was. Or no, I'm sorry, I take it back. It was Saturday because of a reason I'll explain in a second. But he he was basically saying like you know. He finally had enough after he'd been asked one question, and he's like, do you have any idea how hard it is to, like, play golf like that, have a lead at a tournament you've never won, be thinking about all the on-the-course things, and then have to, like, come in here and, like, vocalize all that, and then you have to do it, like, the thing nobody realizes about how, you know, media works, like, after a player finishes is, like, you know, you hold the last putt, you go straight to the scoring trailer, and then you come out and you have to do you know, Sirius XM, you have to do one, you know, Golf Central, you have to do a small scrum of writers outside, then you have to do a couple autographs, and then you go into the media center, and then you have to do more Golf Channel, and then you have to do, you know, maybe ESPN's there that week, or whatever, like, all those people are not asking, you know, these, like, hugely different questions, so, like, you're you're basically, you know, when that question is kind of like, hey, do you think you'll be able to keep up this big lead like imagine going in and talking about that so many times like it's just mind-blowing and then to be jordan and like to be doing that all this year on top of you know on top of what you're doing and you're kind of fighting your swing and like imagine standing on 12 like with all that just kind of going through your head there's no way you can separate all of that no matter like how mentally tough you are and then throw in the fact that like People are asking you, like, "Hey, why? You know, why are you struggling so much?" Yeah. When in reality, you haven't you finished outside the top twenty in one of your last nine tournaments or whatever. It's just it's so crazy, like the amount of stress that goes on behind the scenes, or, or what I kind of project on what goes on behind the scenes to these guys. Like, it, it just blows my mind that they can they can have all of that and play golf the way that they do. Yeah, and it's 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 just got to be stressful in general. Um, and one of the things that Speed said, and I don't remember where where I, when I read this, but just something about how someone always wants something, you know? Totally, and, and, completely. And and he's he's gotten so aware of it lately too, and and it's such a hard thing to wrestle with. Like the whole, you know, the whole when he's coming off eighteen and he says, "Hey guys, don't point the camera in my face," like. Mm-hmm. You, he doesn't want to become a meme or something, yeah. you know. Like he's he's thinking he's said that the last couple of pressers he's had. Like he's so aware of that, and like it's just such a different world. And some one thing I wanted to talk to you about is like I think that he is, I think in golf he is kind of like the first superstar that's had to deal with that. Like that's just been oh, that's just been the reality for his whole career. Like Rory, I think had a little bit of it, but I think even Rory had kind of like a little bit different, you know, social was kind of slowly evolving and, you know, the internet's obviously around, but like when Rory was Jordan's age, you know, whatever, what is he, four years older than him, five years older than him, something like that. Like just think about how different the internet was five years ago. For sure. You know, and it's just, it's, it's fascinating to have to like deal with all that. And I'm just curious like where that's going to, what that means for like longevity and burnout and like all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to um, realize. One thing you 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 come across PGA Tour players way more than I do, but 
the what always sticks out to me whenever I you know am talking to somebody for more than two minutes is and you know, I'm not definitely the first person to come up with this and it doesn't just apply to athletes, golfers, it applies to all celebrities, but the human factor immediately comes in, right? And you talk about you'd be talking about the bachelor and you realize that, you know, yeah, this guy's maybe he has some free time at nights and he goes home and he watches the bachelor and you talk like that's like I don't know, that just that you just look at these guys and they're supposed to be these machines and golf is all they do and and all this and it you just forget that I don't know. I've always pictured like somebody else is tweeting for them or handling all the social media, and then you're standing next to them and they're they're tweeting, and you're like, oh, it really is just that person that's that human saying this, you know. Whereas we look at them as these corporate, structured, guided entities, and that uh, they are just humans reacting to how you know just going through life the same way we are, just in a much more public fashion. And um, I don't I don't know where I'm going with any of this. I'm just saying. <laughs> Just, yeah, just turn into like a late night dorm room conversation. Right? Yeah, no, I mean it's we're way, we're way past that ball going in the water on twelve, but uh, my. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like it's it's crazy to think about. Like I don't know that anybody's ever done like a really good, at least not in the last couple of years, I guess. Like just a really good, you know, kind of analysis of like the toll of fame on some of these guys, and I, I, I forget what it was. I saw it. One of our somebody was somebody came across a stat with Rory that like basically his calendar for all of last year or this year, whichever it was, mm-hmm. like there were like I think ten days maybe it was eighteen. I know exactly the stat you're saying. Yeah, I remember 18 this days where he didn't like owe somebody something. No like, commitments. Where he could wake up and say, "I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do today," which is ridiculous. Days, 65 like that's insane that's so crazy i get more vacation days like during the week than that and then i get all my weekends or for the most part but 18 days that's that's absolutely yeah it's mind blog it doesn't sound like that fun to me i mean that's why guys like adam scott play probably 15 events a year that's why steve stricker's semi-retired basically is that you know when you've when you've got enough money that doesn't matter then you just i mean yeah you just kind of want to maybe live your life but do you put, and I'm guessing the answer is no, but do you put anything on the Speed's early season travel as to what happened this past weekend? Yeah, that was the that was the hot take elephant in the room that I was going to ask you about. <laughs> uh, I, honestly, like, it, it's hard. I've wrestled around with it in my mind a lot the last couple days, and or I guess since yesterday when it kind of really picked up steam. But I don't know. I mean, my, my quick, quick, quick response is, is no, like, that's totally absurd. Yeah. And then you start backing out, like, you start backing out, you know, the last couple weeks even, like, because that seems like it would play so much more of a factor to me, that, like, you know, playing, um, I, I forget what his exact schedule was, but, you know, he played last week, he played match play, he played... Doral, he played Tampa. I'm just kind of throwing these out, but mm-hmm. you know, like it, it was a ton, right? Over the last the last couple of weeks, and so at first I'm like, well, you know, maybe it's hard to catch up on that stuff, but at the same time, like maybe he never fully caught up during that time because he was tired from all this other stuff during the, you know, early season. I, I don't know. My mind's gone in like 15 different directions on this. Like I'd still say no. Like he was well rested and totally like ready to go and that didn't have any kind of you know impact on it but 
I don't know. I, I guess I could be swayed if there was an actual, like, really good argument that someone could lay out. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No, I think you got a lot of criticism for the schedule. He knows he messed up the schedule in the early part of the year. Some of the, the heat that I saw him get, though, that doesn't make sense to me is, like, somebody saying, he's set for life. What does he need to do to globe? Why does he need to globetrot for, you know, make money? It's like, as much as you, he, yeah, he is going to be financially fine for the rest of his life, it's not like um, having more money than that is greed, right? Think about how many people in your family you could take care of with you know, twenty more million dollars, just hypothetically. Like, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, totally. like you could, if you wanted to, you could buy your cousin a house with that money. Like, it, so you can never have too, I mean, too much money in relative terms. And you look at guys like, like billionaires. You know, how much more money a billion dollars is than a million dollars. Right. You know, in, the, yeah. in some of the circles these guys run in, the amount of money they make isn't necessarily that much money. And like, I think Magic Johnson had a quote, something about like, um, "I used to be rich, but now I want to be wealthy," or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And um, I like the uh, there's the one I forget what it is like something about you know once once you it's like once you make a billion dollars like that's when you start getting everything for free or something yeah. like that like like there's there's something to that too probably that yeah. like I, I don't know Warren Buffett doesn't pay for anything he says so right, um, exactly. my buddy Weeby asked a good question um, if you were Grell and then we're going to move off Spieth and you can give me a rather quick answer to this but if you were Greller what would you have said to Spieth after the tee shot after the 80 yard dunk and while walking to 13 oh my gosh that's a great uh, question <sighs> I have no idea. That's why I'm not. I think I'm the, the worst person. I, I like. I can't think of somebody who chokes on the golf course more than I do. <laughs> so like, I'm the worst person you want to talk to. Uh, the only positive that could come from this is like just doing the opposite of what I say. Uh, but I mean, I guess you you'd probably want to try to lean on some of what we were talking about earlier. You know, with like, this is how good you've been at this place. Yeah. You know, like I, I guess you just try to reinforce that as much as you can. But uh, to me, I think the first the prereq to this question is it totally depends on your relationship, right? I mean, totally. It might it's be. I mean, Speak is question. pretty hard on Greller. I mean, if we're being honest, he's pretty tough on him at times. He may have said behind the scenes, like, "Look, I don't need a, a psychology lesson from you ever." Just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, some totally. some guys just don't want to hear that. And to be honest, I don't think I would want to hear that on the golf course. Maybe this is a special circumstance that you know Greller need to speak up, whatever. But the whole, I, I just hate that. I don't. DJ's probably a bad example because he's probably maybe one guy that could use guidance, but I don't like the the analysis of caddies necessarily and. Because it's just impossible for us to understand the psychological relationship between the two. But not not only that, but I feel like uh, I mean caddies are are a huge part just because they're you know the only sounding board, the only therapist, the only everything that these guys have for five hours. But at the same time, like it's not like they're they're born with this superpower to just right. like fix the situation. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what I think people say is like, oh, the caddy should have said something. It's yeah. like, What the hell do you want him to say? Like what? You know, it's not that easy, I don't think. I think um, here's what I would have tried to get, the point I would have tried to get across, and it's almost impossible to get across in that moment. And it's that um, think uh, you have to erase what happened, reassess where you currently stand. So after you put that first ball in the water, he's got to be thinking, I think at that point it was a three-shot lead, or he thought he had a three-shot lead. Um, or was it? No, it was down to one no, at that it was point. One it was one. Lead. Okay. Yeah. 
So you got to be thinking, listen, I know that sucks what just happened. In your mind, you have to somehow get to the point where you just, you're standing on this tee box and you trail by one. You, you look at the holes you have ahead of you. you got two par fives ahead of you. You don't need to do something crazy here. You put this ball in the middle of the green. I think you play in basically even par, plan on birding both the par fives. You play out and you're going to have the lead back. Granted, Will have made another birdie, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's, but that's so hard to do in that scenario. And so I probably would have failed and got fired mid-round for being this guy. <laughs> but, um, do, you, do you know, uh, along those lines, do you know if, so he put the ball in the water on, in 2014. It's yep. the same spot, same pin position, same everything. Do you know where he dropped? Because he got it up and down for bogey, right? That is a very good question. I think he did, like, I don't know why I expect you to have that off the top of your head, but... Um, no, it's a good question. I think like I, I know he got it up and down and made bogey, but like I, I wonder if he dropped in the same spot. I wonder if I want to like say he was closer to the water. I don't know know why. And the greens were softer. Maybe he didn't need to you know have as much spin on it. But I don't I don't know why I want to say that. But I feel like he went up close to the water and just kind of hit like a some kind of a flop over it. But I could be definitely wrong there. But. Uh, it was a we. I mean, this is total hindsight. But it was a weird decision just to go to that spot. It wasn't like a full shot. Um, yeah, it was like eighty yards or something. And I think Steve Flesh tweeted something about it. he put he did this near same thing like in 08 or 09. And he said just that, he's like that's that's great. I could have told him you just hit it from the tee again because that's some grainy grass over there. Whatever that means, yeah. I'm sure that means something more to them. But um, all right, I think we've beaten the speed thing. I want to ask you a bit about a guy that we saw. Um, and the question that we got from Jack Garswood, if Bryson DeChambeau wins one of these seven starts, is he a captain's pick for the Ryder Cup? Wow. Holy smokes. Uh, before, before you answer, I'm will, I'm willing to be talked into, uh, DeChambeau for the Ryder Cup team. I'm just, I'm putting that out there. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think you gotta, I think that you gotta start looking at like, who some of those bottom guys are, um, which right now I don't have the rankings in front of me, but I mean, you could convince me. I think that <laughs> I we can go two different ways with this. One, I think he's a humongously talented guy. I think we saw that this mm-hmm. week. Two, I there's no way for a lot of different reasons I would want to play against him. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? That would be like <laughs> just insanity. Like, he could, if he wanted to be like the the biggest gamesman, you know, whatever you want to say. Yeah. The, I mean, he could he could mentally, I feel like, just win any match he wants. Yeah, I think uh, to me, I, this is my first time really getting a good look at him. Play. I mean, I've seen him play some in college or on, on TV, a very little bit. I've seen him. Um, I think I watched him some in Dubai this year, but or maybe it was Abu Dhabi. Um, but he. The wedges look so awkward to me. And I think he even said something on Thursday after watching Spieth hit his wedges. Like, that's where I need to be with my wedges or something like that. And, you know, when he's around the greens, you know, he was, I think, in the the hazard on 13 trying to chip with a six-iron length club, like, with the ball above his feet. That's where I think he may end up having to make an adjustment to his overall setup. But, all right, I'm, I'm putting all personal things aside. I think he definitely could end up being a guy I really dislike. And let me also put a disclaimer on this, that at one point I liked Bubba for these same reasons, in that he mashes the ball. It is so awesome to watch his swing. When he hits that low stinger cut driver, like, it, it moved. I'm sorry, it moved a little bit. And I, 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 I'm willing 
to forego the personal quirkiness that is seems kind of contrived to be talked into this guy. And I, I honestly, I'm, I'm going to place one bet on the RBC this week, and it's him at fifty to one to win it. Wow, how I would love that for a lot of reasons. So, like, I, I kind of came into the week which with like a, I, I don't know, I, I was kind of already like over it a little bit. I think just you know, reading the quotes and, and, and everything was like, all right, you know, I, I get it. Like this is different and stuff. And then I kind of started thinking about it and what I was saying. And I'm like, you know what? Like we complain all the time about everybody's so vanilla and nobody says anything yep. and blah, blah, blah. Like, so once you get to the point where you're like, you know what? Look, man, like you don't have to, you don't have to hang out with him and like go have dinner with him. Like, it's basically like, do you want someone who's super interesting, interesting in in any definition you want to you want to say, like somebody who's just totally different? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's a hugely good thing. Yeah. Like, so as the week went on, I was like, I was just craving Bryson on camera because I'm like, let's just. It's just different. Like, let's just see it. Like, I don't have to like it or dislike it. Like, it's, it's just something different. It's the same and way. I'm, it's the same way. I I don't dislike watching Bubba play golf. When he's in contention, I'm not rooting for him to win. But it's more interesting when he's there. You can't argue that. No, totally. But even his press. I mean, did you watch his press conference? Like his Tuesday, thirty minute press conference. You you really misunderstand my dedication to the game. <laughs> if you thought I did. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was, Literally the only this is uh, this to show you my dedication to Masters Week. I, on Saturday night, I was like trying to get my Tiger Woods video game loaded so that I could play Augusta at like oh, midnight. I'm so and glad it wasn't you said working. That. So I just pulled up that interview on my phone instead and just watched it in the dark. It was like it was so depressing. But anyways, having said that, uh, I I like it was just a tour tour de force of just like. I don't even know what the hell I'm watching. Like, it, it was great. It was so out there and different and zany and, like, I'm, I'm all in. Not from a, you know, this is someone I can relate to, yeah. which is, I think, why everyone kind of likes Spieth is, like, there's just, like, a good, like, just normal guy. Like, he probably just hangs out with his buddies and he, yeah. he laughs and he likes sports and he laughs at the same things I laugh at. Like, I don't feel that way about Bryson at all. I feel like... We are totally different, and I I love it. I think it's great. Okay. All right. Uh, we're already going to make this the longest podcast I've ever done, which I'm fine with because there's just there's still just too much to talk about. But, yeah, bring um, it up. Uh, Car for the Course wants to know, Euros had eight of the ten best rounds on Sunday. U.S. had one. Have, have any fire takes? Okay. Have any fire takes on Ryder Cup relevance? And then I want to combine this question with another one that we got is, um, I, I'll find who said it here in a second. He, he felt like it was an 80-20, um, fa- like the, the, the U.S. chances were 80-20. Now after the Ryder Cup, or after the Masters, he feels like they're 50-50. So Ryder Cup takeaways from the Masters, if any, from you. Uh, none, none other than, I mean, I think we saw what Danny Willett can do under pressure. Yeah. I think like, like that, that scared me a little bit for sure from a Ryder Cup standpoint. But, um, on the other stuff, like it's just the sample size is 18 yeah. holes. So I think the, one of my favorite things to go back and look for is like, if you were to look up headlines from like 
2009, 2010, where like, you know, when like Luke Donald was world number one and then Lee Westwood and these guys, and there's all these headlines and magazine covers and stuff that were like, what's wrong with American golf? Like, is America, does American golf need to start a new junior program? And like, do we need to be doing all these things? And then, I mean, look what happened over the last, the next couple of years. It, it's, it's not even close. So like, no, I'm I'm feeling good. I'm I'm feeling super confident still. Okay. Does it, it change any? Do you have any major takeaways from that? Um, it's I'm giving it the Bubba test here as well. Um, had the U.S. finished, you know, ran the board and ran the top ten, I'd be like waving my flag and like <laughs> let's start the Ryder Cup tomorrow. Now, the other way around, I'm going to say uh, it's you know a tournament in April. Um, the one in September is going to be a completely different scenario on a completely different course and completely different format. So there's not much relevance to it. I will say, so I mean, Danny Willett, um, we've barely even talked about him, which is, which is kind of a shame. I'll be honest. I mean, uh, to me, the bigger story is speed losing and I, I don't, I don't mean to be the, uh, like the ignorant American guy that just focuses on the American storyline and, and diminishes the European guy. But I don't, I don't have a whole lot to say about him other than he was nails on Sunday. I, I, I don't want to say fear him. It was just like when he's come down that back nine, I did not think he was going to screw that up at all. Like there was no thought in my mind that he was going to make a bogey coming in. No, completely um, agree. And, yeah. and I, so I don't, I don't fear him for the Ryder cup. I've already known he's like a world-class player I would like to see him do it on the PGA Tour more. I definitely not because he needs to prove anything to me or anyone. I mean, he's proven himself every, basically every time he's coming over, come over here. But somebody like I honestly take more out of somebody like Matthew Fitzpatrick, who I think was kind of a question, more of a question mark going into this fall for will he be primed and ready for this Ryder Cup? I think that question's probably pretty much already answered. Um, to to show out this well in in a major of this importance, uh, Grant he could have a he could have a terrible summer, but I, I, that's somebody who's kind of like on the fringe. That now I'm like, cause my theory in general is that the Europeans are pretty strong, definitely strong through the top five. If you want to throw Willett at six, now it's like their top six very strong. They can ride those guys through those first two days, but their depth from seven to 12 leaves a lot of question marks. Like is, is it going to be Lee Westwood, Poulter, Luke Donald, Graham McDowell? Are those going to be the guys filling those final spots? Andy Sullivan, Soren Kelson, like that team's not going to scare me that much. But if somebody with like a really high ceiling, like Fitzpatrick really comes out and starts emerging like the same way that, you know, I'm high on Kepka and Thomas, then that's when I'm going to start being a little bit more wary going into it. So I think it, this was this 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 bruised me a little bit on on the on the future outcome of it, but I'm still I'm quite confident. I and mean, if you look at the top eight in the U.S. Ryder Cup right now, it's Spieth, DJ, Bubba, Sneds, ZJ, Ricky, Phil, JB Holmes. So outside are Brooks Kepka and Patrick Reed. They're outside the top eight at the moment. So Love's going to have an arsenal of guys to choose from. It's hopefully going to get to the point where he can't possibly screw it up. Vaughn Taylor's just waiting there at twenty to be picked. Also, so. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, so I, I'd say it changed it like 5% for me, uh, you know, yeah, I think, I think that's fair, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not horribly overreacting to that. So, um, uh, let's do a couple more and then we'll let you out of here. How's that sound? Perfect. 
Um, no one, I don't think anyone's left at this point, but uh, <laughs> may need to do two parts and break this into two parts. But uh, I should have to save some of these questions. I have another new guest on Thursday. Two podcast week. It's going to be a good one. Wow. There um, go. There's a lot to talk about. There is so much to talk about. Um, JT Larson seven wants to know most uncomfortable to watch Ernie's six Jack Nance's shaming of smiley or Jordan in the cabin. <laughs> oh, that's such a, uh, that's a great question. And I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the effort from the other contenders, but there's no way that it's not Ernie. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's not close. That was, I was hyperventilating when I was watching that the first time. Like, I think, uh, I just, I don't, I don't have any explanation for it. It was just, just terrifying yeah uh this isn't my take i forget where i read this from because i wouldn't have thought to make this connection but it was kind of sad in that and, and you know i i was pretty hard on ernie i was making fun of him pretty hard so i'm not trying to get say this from a high horse but that basically the anchor the unnecessary anchor rule led to that like led to the embarrassment of a four-time major champion and I get really hit home when he like said he went on the range the next day and felt like he was walking with no pants on out there like that that's where i was like I mean, I'm not going to go back and delete the Jordan meme tweet that I made, but <laughs> I got a lot of retweets. So it's uh, big for your cloud score. You got to keep. But yeah, that, it did. But the, the smiley thing was just so ridiculous, and I'm I that is the top ten hardest I've ever. I, I tweeted something about it, and I forget who replied, but I uh, somebody replied like, "Be honest, smiley, you virgin." <laughs> <laughs> I love the I love the term Nance shaming. I think that's yeah. uh, that's very good for our our kind of internet All right. culture. Very last one, and uh, we're gonna circle back to Spieth on this one. Do you think this makes him more or less likely to win a major the rest of the season? What just happened? <sighs> that's a good question too. Um, I honestly I think more, and I have a question I want to ask you when I get done with my little soliloquy here. But <laughs> I think that. Uh, I think him kind of walking off the course, and I forget what he said. If it was, you know, basically I I had my B minus this game, you know, B minus game this week. I almost won the Masters. Like, I think that kind of take is so much better than like the the alternative. You know, I, I think that, like he'll take so much out of that that you know it sets him up well for the rest of the year. I think, and I guess I haven't really looked at the venues too much as far as like how they set up for him and, and stuff. I mean, U.S. Open, he he's like a a perfect U.S. Open player. It would seem no matter where the U.S. Open is, as long as you know it comes down to a putting contest, which it usually does. Like I I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't like. Would it blow your mind if he was to come back and win the U.S. Open? Like I wouldn't think so, right? No, it definitely wouldn't wouldn't blow my mind. I mean, it's. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know how heartbroken I was from this. So I'm done, you know, making picks that are going to lead to heartbreak at all. So I'm going with DJ to win. I'm going with DJ to win the U.S. Open this year. I think, I think like I, I texted you the other day, like your best chance is that you just kind of like gracefully and anonymously just kind of misses the cut. And he misses the cut by like two, and it's just not a storyline because if he gets in contention, like I'm gonna, that's that's I would love to set up a live stream of you and just kind of have like a, a good. Do you want to hear my thought process though as to why? Yeah, please. Um, the greens are so difficult at Oakmont that it won't even matter. Like that, it'll actually work out in his benefit. That yeah, it's gonna I like that. Okay. Kind of really, I thought that was going to be. I was going more for laughter there, but that's. I'll take that. Um, 
Yeah, that it's going to neutralize the good putters, and he's just going to come out on top because of it, and he's going to dominate from tee to green. That's my theory. He putted so bad so this bad. week. Like, uh, it, I, it was, it was I, I never picture him winning at Augusta. I, I, I'm impressed by the T4 finish, to be honest. Totally. Yeah. So so what I want to ask you about Spieth is I wonder if – so, like, if his uh, – if his, you know, his shot at 12, the chunk at 12, if that – if he had the equivalent, whatever the putting equivalent of that is, if he lost because of that, like, how does that change his mentality versus what happened? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, like if he, or if he like three putted on the 18 green to lose it, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like just because the, the putting has been so obviously the strongest point and kind of what, what helped him kind of hang and, and stuff this week. And he made so many par saves that like if, if it was that that betrayed him, like I feel like that would be – worse for him mentally than what happened yeah um i i can agree with that i just i i I feel like what led to what happened was just his overall uneasiness about the way he was hitting the ball and you know the stats are saying that he he was the best from basically best from outside of 100 yards in the whole field for the first three rounds but that deteriorated round by round and i forget um where i'm stealing this stat from i'll get that here in a second um but uh, so I think it was just that uneasiness that it, his his long game was costing him shots. It cost him on ten, cost him on eleven, definitely cost him on twelve. Uh, and it's from Erin Kelly. I don't a new guy I follow on Twitter. I don't know how he said that. Sorry, that's where I got that stat. But um, he would make up for it with a fantastic hole of ball striking. So when he, when he birdied six, and my I didn't tweet this because it's I don't like doing stuff that's like instantly irrelevant five minutes later. But I wanted to say. If he drives it in the fairway on seven, he's going to make birdie. Like, he's going to hit a wedge into that pin, and it's going to suck right down there and go in. And on eight, I felt like as long as he didn't hit it in that fairway bunker, I was like, he's going to make birdie on that hole. Um, Those those holes just set up well for him. I wasn't expecting him to make birdie on nine. He, He struck the ball perfectly on nine, and he gained strokes with his ball striking, obviously combined with his putting. But then it felt like he also was... There wasn't a neutral game. There wasn't an in-between. It was, and he didn't make a par for like 10, 12 straight holes or something like that because he was giving shots away with his long game but, and then earning him back. So he, he just didn't have the confidence in it to stand up and execute one of the most challenging and nerve-wracking shots in golf, and I think that's what it comes down to. It, and it, it all happened so fast for him, and uh, I just, I, as bad as I feel about it, I can't imagine the million times worse he feels, and I just I hope we see him bounce back. So. Same. Okay. I, 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 this is the, this is a record. You, you, you've made it the longest, and I don't think we did anything here that will get you fired. So I was over no, one. No, I feel good about it. <laughs> for one. So. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Pajowski, thank you for your time. Uh, we'll have to do this again. It's been we took way too long to actually do this for the first time, but uh, a lot to talk about. And I think we, I think we could still go for another hour if we really wanted to. But I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for having me. You and, bet. Uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Everybody out there, you can follow DJ on Twitter at DJ Pie and uh, take it easy. Thanks for listening. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.